let's try that again. So, uh, but as, again, if we're looking at things, obviously there are some, these ideas, these concepts are, are very high on, a, on the overall arching, I don't care about that kind of stuff. That's so low, that's not even part of my, not even my radar, not even part of it. But again, what if we're looking at things that are not so obvious? If I was going to add a line to that quote, I might add to it, we need more excitement uh, in our lives. You know, you ever wonder why it is when you walk into a restaurant or anymore, just about anywhere, and the whole family is sitting there and they're all just on their phones? (laughs) And uh, contrary to what some of you may really want to believe, social media is entertainment. It is uh, as much as you may want to know, no, that's me. Keep, no, it's entertainment. It's it's keeping up with what is going on uh, in the lives of people out there, and which is a form of entertainment to some extent. But before we get into that, let's talk about Solomon. Before we get into that too much, so you know, we've looked at toil, we looked at wealth, we've looked at the uh, the the his search for meaning and truth, and, and what we've been, what he was uh, going through in his life, and. Uh, as he writes, or as the writer in Ecclesiastes does. And so now he's going to test the idea of pleasure. And he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 2. If you want to follow along, that's where we'll spend the majority of our time today, Ecclesiastes 2. Solomon will become a total hedonist. Now, if you don't remember what that word means, basically that's someone who is completely and totally focused on pleasure in their life. That is everything they want and everything they do in life is going to be focused on that. And he is going to become a a total hedonist himself. He denies himself nothing. He says in 2 and verse 10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all of my toil. You know, from what he says about pleasure and what we know about him in other places in Scripture, uh, we might conclude that he actually kind of found that pinnacle of excitement, that, that idea of, of peeking out in, uh, in this, this, this world of, uh, of looking for long-term pleasure, like our, a lot of our society does today, that he, he actually found that. Uh, you know, and it, if it felt good, he did it. If it looked good, he bought it. If it sounded good, he went for it. It was everything that you ever, everything you ever wanted. He definitely found that American dream. That's a very different definition of American dream today than it used to be. But today, that really is the American dream, is to find that long-term form of entertainment. And so as we go through, specifically in chapter 2, we're going to look at what one of the authors that I read found I thought was interesting, I thought was kind of a good quote. He said, Solomon's pleasure test to find out whether he actually finds meaning and finds a truth, finds something in this life. And so if you look in, which you can turn in if you want to, but if you, if you look in 1 Kings 3, uh, this is where God basically offers him, what do you want? And he chooses wisdom. And God says, in, starting verse 12, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And we find a few chapters later in 1 Kings 10, a list of everything that Solomon got. He had gold and silver, ivory, exotic animals, uh, highly trained horses, which would have been their worth and their weight in gold at the time, uh, fleets of ships, chariots, property, real estate, businesses, spices, expensive clothing, 
you name it, he had access to it, and he went after it uh, for the most part. And so we're going to look through chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. We're going to look through these different pieces, these different parts, and we're going to look at, as he goes through each one of these things that he acquired, did he find meaning in any of them? And so he, uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, the beginning of that, he said, I said of laughter, it is mad. So apparently Solomon is going to look for uh, meaning and truth in entertainment and the idea of fun and games and whatever we can make him laugh, whatever could. Uh, he just filled his life with anything that was just fun and anything enjoyable. Uh, as he moves on, uh, he goes in verse 3 and he says, I, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Like so many today, Solomon looks to drown his, his emotions and uh, his, his responsibility in, in alcohol. And, uh, and he even goes on a little in the, the end part of verse 3, and he talks about that his, uh, while he was drinking, while he was indulging in wine, his heart was still guiding him with wisdom. So apparently he was looking to remain in control of his wisdom and of his mind while he was doing that and uh, looking for meaning. Uh, he then goes on in the next uh, verses 4 through 6, and he is going to put in what you might find kind of odd, because he talks about all these things he built, and you know, well, how does that pleasure? Well, let me uh, give you a little bit of a, again, you know, my class, got to be at least one history lesson, or six, you know, depending, but uh, there's got to be at least one. So uh, last week we had 4th of July, Independence Day, and uh, there was a, a, a meme, a, a thing, I've seen this before, it's pretty funny. But uh, they added a piece to it, which I really enjoyed. And it said, the Declaration of Independence, uh, the, the world's best breakup letter. And uh, I thought that was, that was funny. But then they added something in the bottom of that that said, if only it had been accompanied by a mixtape. If you don't know what a mixtape is, ask someone who grew up in the 80s, 90s. Um, uh, but uh, they, I thought it was kind of interesting. But what's a little piece of history to that is that Thomas Jefferson actually stole the most famous line of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, from a guy named John Locke, who wrote Life, Liberty, and Property. And he changed it to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit of Happiness. Because one thing Americans, America and the American continent does not lack is property. We have a ton of it. And so that wasn't a big deal for us, at least not on paper. And uh, a, a misunderstanding of the road to revolution is that it was all about taxes and liberty and things like that. It actually didn't start that way. It started after the French and Indian War, whenever America saw North American continent as being an open door. We could go anywhere. We could walk into any area of the country, any area of the continent, unopposed, which was supposed to be true. They thought that's why we were fighting, fighting the French. But in 1763, England passes what becomes known as the Proclamation of 1763, which basically says, very simple, you can't move west of the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. For those of you that don't know a map, that's the mountain range on the right-hand side of America. Okay? So, sorry, that's always my addition to my junior high kids. But, uh, but the, uh, the point is, is that what they did is they closed the borders to further expansion. That made Americans very angry because that was the whole reason we were fighting. We got land, property. What property and land means is control. Control is power. Power means I can do whatever I want. If I have control... If I have control, I can do anything that I want to do. And that's exactly what Solomon was doing. It, it, we know in Ecclesiastes and 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, 
that Solomon was always expanding the borders of Israel. He built cities. He built store cities. He even says in verse uh, chapter verses 4 through 6, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which uh, to water the forest of growing trees. These ideas, like today, are very much typical of ancient kings and throughout history. And again, the reason was not entirely just to show off, but it was about power. It was about control, because if you have control of all this and you can build all of this, it means you can do anything you want, anything that you want to do at any time. That was the, the general idea. As we move on, verses 7 and 8, he says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any other who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. The view, the belief that uh, wealth is going to bring you happiness is an age-old one. Uh, it's a belief that has really never ended. And Solomon gave it everything he had to... To, for wealth is going to bring happiness. He, he put everything into that. And, and it's an interesting point out here in that little section. If you go through and look at that, uh, if you have an ESV, you're going to see the word myself four times. If you have a New American Standard, you'll see it six times. So this is all about myself. He was building all this for himself. Uh, this reveals the underlying motivation. He was purely and simply a hedonist. He was doing everything seeking nothing but his own pleasure. He's finally going to end this in verse 8, where uh, he says that he got for himself singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Now, we know in 1 Kings 11, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Every conceivable pleasure at his disposal. And apparently he tried them all. Everything you could possibly think of. We know from Scripture that his wives were a, a special weakness for him. Uh, it talks about his wives turning away his his heart from the Lord. And it's also, uh, sometimes people will think, well, why do they add singers to that? That seems kind of odd. The reality is, is that singers, entertainers in the courts or in his palace would have been another form of power and prestige. Uh, for example, when the Queen of Sheba came, even though this is not in Scripture, I would almost guarantee that she brought with her entertainers who she would have left for him. It does say in Scripture that he did build a city or built residences for all of his singers. So that would have been a big deal. That was a way to show off who you were. When people came into your court, look at the entertainers I have. These aren't just singers. These are people who come from thousands of miles away to come and entertain me. And so this would have been a, a very big form of, of power, prestige, and a true form of entertainment and pleasure. The, uh, the question, though, it is the thing is, it's unquestionable, though, here, is that he did find pleasure in some of this. It's a very old idea that uh, that really the sin is really never pleasurable, and that you know we we like to say that because it makes it easiest for us to be able to justify why someone might do what they do. It's like, well, that's really not pleasurable, but that's not true. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does no, does not deny that there are some types of pleasures that do come in sin. I mean, that that's just true. Here's the problem, though: it doesn't last. That's the problem. You know, the, uh, the, he says in verse 11, Then I considered all of my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon reached the same conclusion regarding pleasure as he had with toil, with knowledge and wisdom. It was all vanity. 
you know, again, and as we've said multiple times in this class, we'll keep going back to this. Solomon, right of Ecclesiastes, I am not, no one is condemning pleasure as just being innately sinful. That's not the point. The, some, though some obviously are, that is not the point. The real problem here is that they're not fulfilling a search for meaning. That's the problem. That's the problem that Solomon runs into. It, it, it never lasts. Now, again, think back to our original thoughts, original quote of the idea of excitement, our idea of, of, of addiction and, and finding the next fix. It never lasts because we are always looking for the next thing that is going to be able to entertain us. And we're always going to be looking for whatever it is that we can find next. So why then do we seek pleasure? If, you know, as I said at the beginning, you know, a lot of these pleasurable concepts we put pretty low on the list. So if, why do we seek it then? If it is, if I were to say, okay, I want all of you to list your priorities, list what you find to be important. I mean, hopefully we would all put God on top, and then you go down from the list there. And I'm guessing most of you put entertainment and pleasure way down here, right? Well, if that's the case, then why do we adamantly pursue it? Why do we adamantly argue it? We argue and pursue it. I mean, we seek entertainment in a thousand different ways all the time. Everything that we do, it seems to have some level of entertainment idea to it. We even have group sets for that, right? You know, I always love this one. You have, you know, the dad sitting there looking out the window as his kids are in the backyard playing trucks in the dirt. And you're like, well, isn't that fun? But I will never go back to that. It's like, my dear, I'm going to the golf course for four hours. It's another form of entertainment, but it's more adult, right? It's more of the adult. We like to compartmentalize our entertainment into things. We like to add different pieces. We like to say, well, we throw off kid things and become more responsible by adding entertainment forms that are, bigger, that are more, you know, adult-like. You know, this is why you have the age-long debate of movies. What's the best movie? I love talking to people about, uh, every so often, a group called the AFI, which is the American Film Institute, puts out a, uh, a list, top 100, and then the expanded top 500, best movies of all time. Now, I haven't looked at this in years, but the last time I looked at it, I think I figured up almost 65% of the movies and the top 100 were made prior to 1965, okay? If you were to ask pretty much anybody today under the age of 30, none of them will agree with that because it is going to be their view of what they consider to be entertainment, excitement. And it's funny because they were like, how could you ever really compare Casablanca to, you know, Iron Man? Yeah, I can do that. I can easily compare that. Okay? But the point is that that's not the way people see it. You know, and it's, it's also, we become very judgmental on our pleasure groups, our entertainment groups. All right? Most people, a lot of you may know, if you don't know, um, I, I started playing video games at my grandparents' on TV in 1981, 1982. My grandpa bought a Magnavox Odyssey 2. Uh, which was one of the very first console things that actually predates Atari. And uh, he bought one of those at the furniture store. That's where you bought stuff back then. And, uh, and so that was the thing. I'm not a jump into video game person here recently. I'm somebody who's been playing since I was very little, since I was about three or four years old. Has been ever since. But it always kind of finds me interested whenever people talk about, you know, like, really, you play video games? That's, I wouldn't expect that of you. And they're usually like this. Really, you play video games? Hmm. <laughs> kind of laugh at that. 
I also uh, also appreciate this one too. Is that you know you you actually sit and watch video games. You watch people play video games. My response to that: you actually sit and watch people play football. I mean, it, the, there's really no difference in these. It's a compartmentalized idea of this. Now, if you're sitting there going, well, hold on, I have an argument to that. I, I want to make a statement to that. Hold on. Here, here's my question to you. If you are kind of getting your ire up, your dander up on that, those kind of statements, and you're like, I don't really think so true, then how unimportant is entertainment to you? If it is really that unimportant to you, if it really is that low in your priority list, then why does that perturb you? Why is you're like, you know, but you're not, hey, why does that bother you if it really isn't that important? As we've said before, there's nothing wrong with seeking entertainment. There's nothing wrong with seeking, finding pleasure. Uh, from a biblical standpoint, and we'll talk about this as weeks go on, There, uh, the Bible does not teach that it's wrong to be happy at all. It does not teach that. In fact, it teaches that we are, God created this world for us to be here to enjoy. We know that. So he placed us here for that reason. We're intended to try to enjoy ourselves, if possible, while we are here. <clears throat> the problem, though, is that while entertainment is not sinful, there is a right way and a wrong way to search for it. There's a right way and a wrong way to actually look for it. You know, as a, as a society, we love the idea of long-term. That's the ultimate goal, right? That's the ultimate idea. Find that long-term, never-ending form of pleasure and excitement that just never seems to go away. And that's the whole premise of what we're talking about. It's the addiction, the, the need for the bigger and better entertainment, the next best thing. You know, and if, for those who live in a hedonistic lifestyle, they're constantly saying things like, I need the next fun fix or the adrenaline rush. I need the next adrenaline rush. Right? I need these next things because they're looking for pleasure. And the, again, the problem is that these things never go away. They have to be replaced. They have to, and it often consumes your search for, in, in, in your life. It may consume that moment, or it may consume your whole life, if, depending on what you're doing. Again, look back to the, the family at the table at lunch, everybody on their phone. We used to make fun of that. We used to laugh and be like, oh, these families, they don't know what they're doing. I can't believe, you know, they get the kids off the phone. Now you can't hardly walk into a restaurant where everybody's not doing that. But here's my ultimate question for you. If your family is like, we don't do that, we put our phones away, how long is it from when you get up from your table and walk away that you do get your phone out? Okay, I challenge you to do this. Put your phone away at lunch and don't get it out until next tomorrow's lunch. Okay, and if you're like, but I can't. Okay, you see where we are sitting is that all of a sudden this entertainment pleasure idea starts creeping higher and higher on the list as to where our focus really does seem to to sit. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to get right out. We're going to have to leave early today. Um, <laughs> uh, as I'm talking you through this, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not getting a lot of amens. I'm getting a lot of stares, and so um, this endless pursuit of of pleasure it, it blinds people. It blinds people to what's important. It can lead us to neglect God, and most importantly, it can lead us to actually replace God. All right, that's that's where our our real issue comes in. You know, I, I read a piece of an article that I, I had a really good point, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of bring this up, because I, I debated as to whether we were going to talk about this, but I had a really good point. We become really good entertainment cover-up artists. Have you ever, maybe you're in one right now, I am, sort of, and, or you, uh, and maybe you are, you ever been in a group, like an entertainment group, like, and what I mean is, 
like you like you have a, a movie night or you have a game night or you have a golf team or you have a you know bowling or you ha- or, or whatever you know quilting whatever it is you do you have a group of people to get together and you do things you enjoy it's fun nothing wrong with that actually that's great but have you ever got to a point where you don't really you're not really not that fun anymore you don't really want to be in it anymore you don't really you'd kind of like to be able to walk away but the problem is you boast about it to so many people for so long that now you're like i don't really think that i can leave you recruited other people to come and be part of the group too and now you're like i don't really want to be in the group anymore because it's just not fun i'm i'm you know it's taking away responsibility it's it's costing a lot of money i just it's taking away my family I don't really want to be anymore you don't know how to get out so you become a really good con artist it's like it's really good I mean, it's like oh i still it's so much fun in the back of your mind, you're like, no, not really. It's not. I want to get out, but you don't know how. You know, we uh, and, and I'm in that. I'm in a group of teachers, in a text message group that we originally we started because it was just communicating with each other. Then eventually it became kind of like fun. I think there's 12 people in the text message group. Only two of them actually still teach together. The other 10 people, like half of them aren't even in the same state. It's like there's no reason. And I'm sitting there going, it's like, and my wife can tell you. And when they start in the chain, I'll look out of my phone, it'll be like 42 text messages. I want to get out. I was like, I don't care. But how do I get out? What do I do? Text everybody, please remove me from your text message group. I don't like you anymore. I mean, how do I do that? So it's, I mean, because I don't want to do that. But it's hard. And so we get, we get wrapped up in that. And every so often, somebody will text and they'll say to me, oh, hey, you're the guy that never responds to our text anymore. Yeah, you know, I'm so busy. You know, it's just hard. So, you know, Solomon's search for pleasure did not bring him lasting happiness. It didn't bring fulfillment. It didn't make his life meaningful. You know, we've already talked about his many attempts to find fulfillment. In the end, it cost him his. It cost his family and Israel greatly. Uh, Israel loses over half of its kingdom because of his actions at the end of the at the end of this time. And these were his kids that lost all this. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus makes it very clear multiple times, uh, two very specific ones, uh, in the parable of the sower. And he says, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Uh, the prodigal son is a perfect example of a hedonistic lifestyle and what it can do to us. So we, this, is not a, this is a lesson that continues and has continued, has not gone away. You know, so we shouldn't be surprised that a search for pleasure can result in sin. After all, isn't that pretty much the devil's, that's his M.O., right? I mean, think about it. He stands out in front of these like a, like a, a barker at a carnival or something, and he's saying, you know, come on in. It's this way. This is happiness. This is fulfillment. This is, this is where you can find meaning. There's no cost at all. It's totally free. It doesn't cost you a thing. How much, how, what does that sound like? Doesn't it sound like Eve? Doesn't it sound, I mean, it sounds like temptation, doesn't it? I mean, that's pretty much the same thing that he was doing then. This is going to, you get everything you want. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you a dime. You know, and if we come at this from another angle, if we come at this from another idea, uh, looking at this kind of wrong way, one of the things that becomes very dangerous is that we expect happiness. That's become a real big problem today. We expect happiness. We, uh, you know, I, I did a lesson not too long ago where I talked about that in America we have this real, real bad problem with rights. We think, you know, if we really, really like something, we just make it a human right. Then you can't argue it. Well, it's a human right. I mean, how, how dare you? 
And we love to do that. We loved, I mean, don't be wrong, I think the Constitution is politically speaking and historically speaking was a pretty amazing thing, but we have used that now to become a, it's, it's everybody's right. We, we've tossed that word around like it's nothing. Because of that, because it's a right, that means we can expect it. We expect it to be that way. It's not, it's not that this could happen. It's we expect to happen. We lost that. We threw away the whole pursuit part of happiness. Okay? It's that we, we, we completely stick with the, now I just want to be happy. You know, and we know that we can't expect to be happy. We know bad things happen. However, how often do we tend to think whenever something bad does come along, what's the first word out of our mouth? Anyone take a guess? It's not fair. It's not fair. Why? The only reason it can be unfair is because we're not, it's not supposed to happen. We expect to be happy. We expect to have these things. It's not fair because we look at other people's lives. They're happy. We should get to be happy too. So it's not fair. That's, that's, the, that's the simple idea with that. You know, this, is, this idea can also corrupt our understanding of how we learn and how we grow. And that's a, this is something that is becoming ever more problematic in schools and in, uh, just in society in general. Um, you ever heard the phrase, uh, that which does not kill you only makes you stronger? You ever heard that before? It's a bit morbid, <laughs> but, but it has, a, it has a, a pretty valid theme or idea embedded in it. Difficult times, difficult scenarios, bad things happening in life, help you grow. It helps you get better at things because now you know, okay, I can do this. I learned a lot from it. I can move forward and I can get better, right? And I can keep moving forward with this. The problem is, is that we don't like to live that way because if bad things are happening, that's not fair. And we need to find some way to fix the bad thing so that it's because that's not a fair thing. It's not something that we just struggle through. Yes. Something happens occasionally where instead of that's not fair, why me? I always, if anytime I say why me, I say, well, why not? Because <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. This is very true. This is very true. Why not? You know, if we, if we continually pursue happiness through entertainment or pleasure for ourselves or even our families, you know, we're focusing on the wrong thing. And this is where we can get into to, uh, stuff that can, that can definitely creep into our lives and our church. Um, you know, it, again, it doesn't mean that we can't be happy. It does not mean that no one is saying that your children should not be happy. I know that was mentioned a couple weeks ago that that's just a good byproduct. But it doesn't say that your children, you shouldn't try to make your children happy, that they can't be happy. That's not what this is saying. But if it becomes your priority... You're not doing anyone any justice. You're certainly not doing them any justice. And you're not doing your family any justice. That becomes your priority. You know, as we've stated before, we're always looking for that next fix, that next piece of entertainment, that, uh, you know, if, if enjoyment is what you're looking for, you're always going to be looking for that one-up. You're always going to be looking for that next thing that is going to be the next form of entertainment. All right? Have you ever... Um, all of us have movie, TV shows, some form of entertainment that we had whenever we were younger of some type. You know, how far back you want to go. Have you ever gone back and done that? And it was like, eh, it wasn't quite as 
fun as I thought it was. It seemed a lot more fun back when I did it back then. The reason it was more fun back then is because it was new, it was exciting, it was invigorating. Now it's not new and exciting and invigorating, and so now we need to find, you know, 2.0, the next thing. Yes? Well, it's sort of funny for a 60-year-old man to be playing with G.I. Joes and cars. Debatable. <laughs> well, if you see the people have... I, absolutely, and, and it's, but the... That was entertainment back then. I actually went outside and played with cars. <laughs> I know. It's the, what's the world? You know, it's, it's, it was crazy. People actually went outside at the time. Um, you know, and, and it's, but again, the, the point to this is you're, you're right. There are definitely forms of, and there are things that we like, well, I don't really think that that's going to be, because again, we're getting out of that generational box of this is not, but we replace it with things that often are very similar. We replace it with things that have a similar idea to them often, and uh, we like that. Um, if you've uh, if you've ever seen any, there's TV shows. Uh, I've seen you know videos and things like that of uh, toy store owners, like where they own like toy stores, like they collect things like that. One thing you ever notice about them, they are never like 25 years old, right? They're always like 40, 45, 50 years old because they are continually reliving what they had when they were a kid. So as I've said before, that doesn't make it wrong. It's not bad to do that. It doesn't make, that's not sinful by any means. Uh, but it does become a problem if that becomes your focus. If we bring it into the church, and I encourage you, if you have, a, if you have a, an idea or an example on this, please feel free. But uh, if you bring it into the church, um, just because it starts tonight, I mean, one of the things about was BBS. There's absolutely nothing wrong with BBS being fun. However, if you're removing certain things because you need, well, we got to do this over here because the kids are going to love this a lot more. But this talks more about what we can do with God. I know, but they're going to love this. That becomes a concern. It becomes an issue if you're, if you're now focusing on the fun aspect of it and you're taking away from the priority. Okay? Yes? But isn't that pretty much you have to have a happy medium? And that's even with things that you enjoy in your adult life. Because if not, then we're humans. People are going to be easily distracted and pulled away. So isn't it all about trying to make that happy medium, even with things of your hobbies or even when it comes to with God? I think, I think we can look at that, that answer. I think Because I'm actually going to address that to an extent here in a second. But I think a good way to address that up front is you look at it like this. Our relationship, the church, is designed like a family, designed like a marriage. Um, one of the things that I had, a, uh, my wife brought this up not too long ago, but I, and I had a, a, a very good friend of mine that had this on a screensaver that she always had on her computer. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100%, 100%. And, um, and so when you look at it from that perspective, if you put 100% of your focus into God, the pleasure is going to come from that because you're going to be focusing on him and what's important and what comes after that. If you're looking to find a fine line, if you're like, i got to find that line because, you know, it's like, I, I need to keep myself entertained, but then I can find God too. If you're doing that, inevitably entertainment is going to overtake. Well, I'm not saying that. You should okay. always put God first for sure because when you put God first, other things will follow. But I'm saying that as humans in general, or even we're just using as children, the example used with kids was, well, I want to make sure they have this activity because this is really fun and this will grab their attention. But you don't have to completely get rid of the learning lesson. But if 
if you don't have, especially with small children, then they're going to lose interest. They're not going to be able to stay focused on what they're doing. And so Absolutely. All um, the meaning with the happy medium is, is it's like, depending on which crowd you're addressing, you almost kind of have to have that kind of balance. Um, I, 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 first of all, I, I, I absolutely agree uh, with the idea that we, you, you want to look for something that's going to be appealing um, to them. I, I think that the, the key here, is the key focus, the key, the key idea, the key term here is focus. It's like, where, where is your focus at? If you, are, if you decide that you want to put a focus on entertainment over anything else, that's where you start running into problems. Um, if you, I don't know that I would clarify it or classify it as being finding a happy medium per se. I think, uh, and, I, and again, I'll, I'll address this a little more here in a second. But I, I think the, um, I, I think the entertainment side of things is a uh, is a happy byproduct of what can happen whenever your focus is in the right place. Uh, one of the things that we need to be very careful with, and this this is true even for kids, we don't like to think that, especially in our society, because we like this idea that, well, kids are supposed to be in a completely separate category over here, and then there's everybody else. We're all here together. The Bible never wants promises, happiness, and enjoyment. It's just it's just not a promise. It's, it's, that's a, it's a byproduct that can definitely happen if we have the right focus. But the main reason for that is because we have a focus on something that's bigger and greater and something way outside of what is here under the sun on earth. And so because of that, we have, a, we have the ability to just be in peace and to just have pleasure in the things that are around us because we know at the end of the day it doesn't matter. And, and sometimes we do take our kids and we put them in a separate category and be like, well, that's, and I understand that for me, but for them, that doesn't really work that way. They need to be a lot more happy. The Bible doesn't promise that either. And so, again, nobody is saying you shouldn't be happy. You shouldn't try to entertain. You shouldn't go do fun things and create things for your kids that they enjoy and make them enjoy. That's, that's absolutely what we should do. But, again, it's where your focus is, and which I think is I think is pretty much what you were saying. So just find a very long-winded way of saying that. We tend to look at pleasure as being the opposite of work. And, and we put so much effort into work that we put a lot of effort into pleasure and what gets left out is God. We never look at for God to fill the life other than work. Of course he wants to fill our whole life, but but we so we focus on pleasure because we have to work. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes. Challenges to take our pleasures and turn them towards God. How can I take my hobby and show it to God? I like photography. I take nature pictures. Why don't you say something about God? And you know, I like to get on social media and not watch. I don't know if post stuff about God. You know, it's all about the intention of what you do. Um, what you get pleasure in, right? So if you can find a way to turn it back to God, it's going to be Absolutely. Um, a couple of lines here. Uh, Coy uh, wrote in his book, and I thought this is a perfect summary of kind of what we were just talking about. There is definitely value in being happy. But making pleasure the only important thing in your life is to live a vain and empty and purposeless life. And, and, and which I think is a great uh, summary to that. So, you know, after admitting his endless pursuit of, of pleasure that Solomon does, he admits this. This is chapter 2, 24 through 26. There's nothing better for a person that then, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? 
For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give uh, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. You know, Solomon learned, much to his dismay, that he couldn't make himself happy. He tried tirelessly to make himself happy, and he didn't work. He couldn't do it. And, you know, and but understand this: what he's saying here is that. Uh, when, when he is saying that there's nothing better than eat, drink, and, and find enjoyment, he's not implying that this is some sort of worldly idea. What he's implying is, is that God gives us that. That's the idea. You know, if you have enjoyment in your life, be thankful. If you don't have enjoyment, if, you, if you're like, this is just not there, it, you might take a step back, self-reflect, and think, am I looking for it in the right place? That could be part of the concern. You know, Solomon acknowledges his error in the very first verse of chapter 2. You know, he was pursuing pleasure for its own sake. You know, and this seems to be the primary error of our time. You know, we are, you know, when we talk about pleasure addicts, we can't get enough thrills. We're looking for bigger and more exotic fixes to keep us going because we're looking for this for ourselves. We want to make ourselves happy. And that was the problem that Solomon ran into. Everything he was doing was about himself. It was about making me happy. He learns the hard way that this pleasure is not the end of itself, but it's a byproduct of one's daily pursuits. Like Chris said, whenever you're talking about adding God into hobbies and things like that, it is, you know, so the question is, is how do you find pleasure? Well, in other words, pursue life. Pursue God. Pursue better relationships with families and friends. Pursue meaningful work. Pursue service to others. Pursue, uh, you know, putting you know God into your hobbies and things like that. If you pursue these things in, in through God, then you will realize that this is God's gift to you. You know, sooner or later, we're all going to have to face up to the fact of the kind of lifestyle we live. I mean, sooner or later, it's gonna it's gonna come around one way or the other, uh, whether you like it or not. And you can think of what Solomon says in verse eleven again. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. He had come to the grip to grips with the idea of this unreality and vanity of his chosen lifestyle. He, he realized that everything he was doing was just vanity. It was it was vapor. It didn't have any kind of real meaning to it. And that and the question is, do we really believe we can consistently travel down that path? of pleasure and, and pay no price. Can we reject and replace God and not pay a price? Can we neglect our families? Can we indulge in sin and not pay the price? You know, if we don't change where our focus is, eventually we're going to be held accountable for that. We can move down the list of priorities. We can move God down the list of priorities and ignore him altogether for right now. If we want to keep moving him down the list and we want to say, you know, it's like, well, right now, I really need to focus on this up here. I'll, I'll come back to him. It, it, you know, you are eventually going to face that decision. Right? That is, that, there is, that is a guarantee. So, and the thing is, that is why we must have Christ. That's the whole reason why we must have Christ. Because we're all in sin. We all do that. We all move God down the priority list on occasion, whether we want to or not. Whether we even knowingly do it or not. Sometimes we take a step back and we realize, uh-oh, okay, I put him too far down the list, right? Even number two, and that's why we have Christ, because we all stand condemned. We all need forgiveness. We all need this in our lives. And so it's always important to remember that the pleasure, searching out pleasure and entertainment, 
is never a substitute for just the natural enjoyment and the genuine happiness for God. It's not a substitute in any way, shape, or form. And so, hey, Leland, perfect time. It was literally my last line. So, I appreciate all your time. I appreciate your comments. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. I hope everybody enjoys your time. Enjoy VBS if you're a part of that.